When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by The Edge of Lost by acclaimed author Christina McMorris. The Edge of Lost is an epic journey from the islands of Ireland to New York in the 1920s to San Francisco Bay and back again. A young Irish boy immigrates to America with the help of a well-meaning Italian family coming of age in the shadows of Prohibition-era organized crime on the vaudeville circuit and ultimately in the prison island of Alcatraz, where he forges an unlikely friendship with a prison guard's daughter, changing the course of both of their lives. The Edge of Lost is now available everywhere books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. Visit Christina McMorris, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-M-C-M-O-R-R-I-S.com for more information. This is the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 135, we're recording on Friday, December 4th. I'm Jeff O'Neill, I'm with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. It is here. Hey, hey, hey. It is our 2015 holiday book recommendation show. Um, thank you so much for everyone who wrote in. We got a billion recommendation requests. Unfortunately, we're, pr- well, uh, I'm, I'm um, equivocating uh, disingenuously because I know we're not going to get to them all. <laughs> show title. Um, yeah, right. So uh, that's our, we got a whole bunch of requests. Um, but it, I was looking through some of the ones we're not going to get to that came in after the deadline or whatever. And I think there's quite a bit of overlap. So if you haven't heard your recommendation, one thing that I think we can do is like, these are good for a lot of different things. If not your particular question, recommendation. We got a lot of, well, we'll talk about we get there. We got a lot of, um, the, uh, my, my fella loved the Martians. So that's mm-hmm. one we got a lot of. The, the old, the old uh, Harry Potter, what next question. Um, and some sort of, you know, there's some things we can group together. But we're excited to do it. As always, um, I think we just recommended things we've read before. I, I, sometimes if we haven't read something we're recommending, we'll probably give it a, a caveat yeah. that we haven't read it. But all, on the other hand, uh, everything else we've read before. Um, yeah, let's see. I mean, it's it's interesting. There ha- there wasn't, um, I guess The Martian was one, but last year there was a billion people reading The Goldfinch. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a lot of, I was expecting people to say, I read Girl in, the, Girl in the Train and wanted something else like that. We only got one or two, but I was expecting a lot more of that. Um so anyway, I, other than that, I didn't see any, yeah, what do they call those? Read-alikes? Read-alikes. Yeah, read-alikes. Yeah, yeah, there are a ton of, there's just a ton of variety among yes. these requests, including some that are so far out of anything that you or I read that we mm-hmm. might just have to, you know, either we might skip those or we might just have to point you in the direction of research. Um, there were a couple where I was like, oh, I have absolutely no clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's always fun, too. It's cool that our readers are into our readers and our listeners are into such a you know, breadth of different kinds of books. I think that's really fun. Yeah. And some of them will give longer recommendations and some will give, you know, uh, you know, a few different ones. Before we get started, let's get, one, let's get a sponsor under our belt. Our first sponsor today is Penguin Random House Audio. Penguin Random House Audio. So what they're talking about now is one thing that we're finding with audiobooks especially. You know, the whole new world of digital reading and different formats. We're just now trying to find find the, you know, where we can do with all these things. What's different parts of your life you can fit different formats of books into. And one thing that's true about audiobooks is that they, even different than print versus digital, they can fill in 
crevices of your life that you didn't even know reading could fit. Boy, that that went somewhere. Um, <laughs> I'm just yeah, sit just here. just sit there, just be just be, be the the uh, the nun that you are. And uh, <laughs> audiobooks are great. A lot of people are busy, and book clubs. One thing that people say is, I love my book club, but I find it hard to get the reading in either because I'm reading other things or I'm just busy and even one book a month or whatever period your uh, book club is hard to do. But an audiobook, you can do a, you can do your book a lot of different places. I've talked about these a million times. So if you're a busy person running around, running or doing your life in the car, that's the obvious one. Um, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. A lot of people have Bluetooth enabled cars where you can connect mm-hmm. your phone to your car. Um, my car doesn't have that. So I, I use, you know, basically a three and a half millimeter a uh, male-to-male uh, headphone jack that runs through the auxiliary thing in my little armrest in my car and just plugs right into the, the phone, and I can play it that way. So if you yeah, haven't thought about that, um, I don't know if we've ever t- given people like sort of the, the, the hacks to get the phone to play through your your car, but you might look into that. Car, while you're shopping, in line, anywhere, out walking the dog. I know that's where you you uh, spend some time listening to audiobooks and podcasts there. On the subway, uh, you know, really any kind of situation, cleaning the house while you're cooking, watching sports, playing video games while you're crocheting or doing crafts of any kind, while you're paying the bills, you know, you're on the computer and you got to sit there with the, with the quick and open and, and a whole stack of bills. You got to do stuff like that. Audiobooks are a great place to fit in all of those places. So if you don't, if you want to give it a try, but don't overstart with audiobooks for your book club, go to penguinrandhouseaudio.com slash book club. They've got title suggestions other advice to help you get going. Uh, the December giveaway, they're doing some of the best of 2015. Uh, and a couple of these, it looks like, are things we might recommend here in a minute. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, City on Fire by Gar- Garth Harburg. The Bassoon King. Um, uh, Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. I keep wanting to say Rain Johnson. This guy's the director of the next Star Wars movie. Rain Wilson, who is Dwight in The, the Office. And a bunch of other titles. Go take a look at that, Girl on the Train. Penguin Random House Audio, thank you so much, you guys, for continuing to sponsor the show and a bunch of stuff we do at Book Riot. Okay, we're off. We are. We are. We're off here. So uh, sometimes we read them, sometimes we don't, the recommendations. I'll read this to start, and we'll see how we go from here. Looking for a book recommendation for myself. We love you. We love it. Just come right out and say it. come on out. Ask. It's good. I will list several prompts below. Not only recommend yourself, but several different Kinds of recommendations. The boldness, couldn't like it more. Uh, chicken Pick and choose will best fit the show. Books to help me grow. The first one, books to help me grow as a person. Recent examples I've read include Bad Fems by Roxanne Gay and You Don't Have to Lie, Like Me by Alita Nugent, which I haven't heard of that one. Um, I feel oh, really, I just read that. That's I've, good. It's I'm not fun. looking for feminist-centric works, but anything will help me. So she's, I think she's saying these were a couple of feminist ones, but not just that. Could be that, but not just that. Yeah, she's looking for Live Your Best Life. Yeah, okay. Books. So this, this is... Uh, a shared wheelhouse, but it we is. kind of we kind of fork in different ways. But why don't you go we do. first? Uh, my pick here is one I've talked about on the show before: "Daring Greatly" by Brene Brown. Um, if you are on the mission to make yourself and your life better in some way, I, I am hard pressed to think of a book with better practical applications. Brene Brown is a sociologist. Uh, she spent decades researching vulnerability. And her idea in Daring Greatly is, you know, that one of the biggest ways that we grow as people and that we grow in our personal lives and in our careers and our families um, is by taking risks. And one of the greatest risks is, you know, really showing up and showing people who you truly are, despite how scary that can be, but how rewarding that can can be um, once you learn how to do it. Uh, and of course, you're going to fall down sometimes, but 
this is a, this book is about learning to take the risks. Um, I read it, I think, in the second year of Book Riot, when we were really trying to grow the company and try a bunch of things. And I was being like, all of us were being asked to do all sorts of stuff that we had never done before and weren't positive we knew how to do. And it really was a like, you just have to jump off the building and hope that the net is there at the bottom. And it really helped me get my head around that. And then that bled over into how I handled risk taking in my personal life, how I handled hard conversations with my my husband. I know that it changed the way that I talk to my coworkers. Um, I think that was very effective. There's, I can't think of an area of my life that Daring Greatly didn't give me some new framework for. So that's my pick here. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. As I've talked about on the show, it's it's been my year of Busman's MBA, and um, I think it's going to extend into two years. I think it's a two year degree program I've entered <laughs> into. Um, so a lot of the recommendations I'm going to give are maybe coming from a slightly different angle. But one, I'm not sure if you ever got around to reading this. Yes, I know recommended it. Um, Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher yeah. mm-hmm. and William L. Urey. So it's a book about negotiation. The subtitle is Negotiating Green Without Giving In. Um, What's amazing about this book, there's a couple things amazing about this book that I'm, I'm recommending it for here. One is that it's a book about negotiating that's not just about business. So, you know, we negotiate all the time. That's one of the points they make. You negotiate with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, um, with your friends and with your families. And even if you don't even think of them as negotiations, when, when you're not exactly already into a 100% agreement about something you want to decide about, you enter into negotiations of various kinds, all the kinds, micro negotiations, all the way to sort of, I guess, you know, armistices and things of like that. Those are the big, <laughs> the widest scale negotiations possible. So that's one thing that's helpful to think about your interactions with other people. And a lot of times are about a negotiation. Um, and how do you handle those things? You know, we know, we all know people that are nego- sort of bad faith negotiators. Well, their, their, their job is to extract it extract maximum value for you in that micro negotiation and it makes you crazy and it hurts you and it's hard to know how to do deal with that a couple couple points that this book make that i'm only going to highlight here because you need to read it to really get it um but one is the idea of sort of having an objective principle what if you're negotiating with someone what what third sort of objective principle can we use as a standard to figure out what's fair so that's one thing they try to do is like look for some sort of external reference you can use. So you give yourself some grounding. You know, the classic one for this is when you're negotiating a salary and you have no idea what your market <laughs> value is, right? You, you go in there's like the classic things you see a Craigslist ad or something on monster.com and it says uh, salary negotiable or the worst one, I guess, is salary commensurate with experience. Like I don't even know what, who even knows <laughs> no. what that means, right? That means you we don't want to tell you, around. right? That's what they're saying. Yeah. So what, you know, the first thing they suggest is go out and find even just one data point, like you know, there's salary comparison charts, call somebody, you know, that's anything that's even close is better than nothing to get you started because then you can figure out what's fair, set the parameters of what's going on. Um, the other thing that I thought was really astute and one, and one thing that I, we've thought about with the company in a variety of situations is different kinds of negotiations in terms of timelines. Is it a one-time interaction you're having with an entity or a person of some time? Or is the negotiating part of a larger, longer-term relationship where maximizing value in any one instance isn't necessarily the best move because you're trying to build good faith and get them to feel, deal with you fairly for a long period of time. We all know a situation where someone we have to deal with over time has tried to screw us, and we don't forget that. We don't forget if they tried to screw us or tried to get too much the first time. Even if you don't come to that agreement, even if you get a fair agreement that, that starts a relationship, we remember and so all these things that go into how we feel about ourselves and relating to other people um, is really at stake with getting to yes. So 
don't be afraid of sort of the businessy sort of title or be excited by it if that's something you like. It is about getting along with other people as you make decisions and come to agreements in a variety of different ways. I, I really can't recommend it high enough. I've listened to it twice. Um, probably the book I've recommended the most here just sort of organically to other people. Because once I started listening to other people and like what their problems sort of are in my own life as much as like I try not to listen to other people as, as much as possible. <laughs> but as I am talking to other human beings of when I can't avoid it, like so much is about trying to negotiate a good answer to try to come to some sort of agreement. One thing they say is like, Sometimes it helps with the other person just to even sort of say out loud, you know, to talk that, you know, acknowledge that you're in some sort of negotiation. Like that's what's happening in a given um, interaction. So that's getting to yes. Roger Fisher, William L. Urey, and Bruce Patton. It's based on decades worth of research and case studies. Um, and it's, it's not super technical, but you do get some math. Um, highly recommended. There. Okay. Yeah, I second that emotion. It's really useful. So you did. You, oh, so you did get through it. Okay. I couldn't remember if you had read it yet. I'm doing this sneaky thing where I don't tell you all of the business uh, recommendations right, that you, you give know. me that you I read what, because what I like to know when you're right. techniquing on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, and I won't name names, but Clint and I, <laughs> um, my co-founder of Book Riot, we're in our negotiation right now, and we're using getting the yes stuff. And it's not like Tucker, what's that guy, the artist seduction? It's not like creepy. I mean, that's the oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that, no, it's not. It's just it's really not useful. It's not creepy. It's very, very useful. Um, it's really good. Okay, boy, we're, we're, we're one third through of one, so we better get moving here. <laughs> I know. We're going to have to pick and choose because this, yeah. this question from Kate had five different categories, and I don't think we can answer yeah, all so five. Yeah, so why don't you pick one, of the, pick one of the other ones that you especially have a good categories. A okay, good I was excited for. to be asked this one about um, she's into historical romance with uh-huh. strong, confident, awesome female characters, and she enjoys Beverly Jenkins and Sarah McLean. Kate, I got you. I enjoy both of them, too. If you have not read The Duchess War by Courtney Milan, that is the first Mm. in a uh, new series that Courtney Milan started in 2013. There are several more books in the series now, but, you know, you want to kick it off at the beginning. Um, It's her heroine is named Minerva Lane. She goes by Minnie. She is, uh, you know, a nerdy girl. She wears glasses and she keeps to herself and she likes it that way. Um, She has been the center of attention before and it went really badly, like so badly that she caused scandal and had to escape and change her name. So Minerva Lane isn't even her real name. It's just how we meet her. She's trying to play it cool and just fly under the radar. And then a very handsome Duke comes to town. But of course, he's not to be fooled. He figures out that uh, she is someone to pay attention to. And then all of the usual uh, romance shenanigans apply. They meet, they don't want to like each other, but they do like each other. Some obstacles pop up in their way. And you can guess how it ends. Um, It was a really fun read. I've read a couple more in the series after it so far. I really like Courtney Milan's voice. The story moves very quickly. The love scenes are steamy enough, but you know, not over the top. Um, if you're into Sarah McLean and Beverly Jenkins, she's going to be right up your alley. So that's um, The Duchess War by Courtney Milan. All right, Kate, we have to move on. I'm sorry we can't get to all five, but those are the two. We gave you two of five. That's not bad. We gave you two. No, no, that's pretty good. Um, I feel uh, guilty, but also not at the same time. This next one, let's see. I don't think there's a name on it. Yeah, I don't um, think so. Has some that are this is kind of your wheelhouse so i'll read yeah okay sure uh they're looking for a recommendation for their mom who taught them how to read when they were three and they recall that books were really important to her mom likes anything and everything world war ii in any genre um so in the past she's given he or she has given mom girls of atomic city by denise kiernan um secret of raven point by jennifer vanderbase um and she enjoyed both of those she's probably gonna mom's probably gonna get all the light we cannot see this year but this listener is having trouble thinking 
thinking of other good World War II books, um, mom also likes medical dramas, thrillers, and general medical information. So I've got a couple with general medical stuff, but okay. I know you can answer the World War yeah, II question. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple. Um, let's see. Let me start with, what do I have here? Um, Monuments Men, the book, which was made into a snooze fest of a movie. So if you've seen so the movie snooze. or heard anything bad about the movie, try to try to get rid of that for, for a minute. Um, but this is about a... You know, a small team of American, well, they were drafted, you know, they became part of the army, but they're a small team of curators, art museum, art historians, um, anthropologists, uh, and, you know, sort of other people in cultural sciences, basically, who were conscripted by the army to protect Europe's cultural treasures during the Allied advance in World War II. Um, they're trying to make sure the stuff doesn't, you know, the stuff that got taken out of the Louvre gets back to it. Um, it follows a couple of key works, and I'm not going to spoil what those are for you, but it's very, you know, what happened, they get on a train and they get put somewhere else and they get thrown in the bottom of the river or in there, there's old salt mine and it is crazy. It's a, it's a true story. Um, it's by Robert M. Edsel. Uh, and it's really, really interesting. Um, there's also, there's also a bunch of stuff about, you know, the, the technical parts of invading Europe. Like, where do you get a Jeep so you can go out to some church to make sure the, the thing on the altar is still there? How do you communicate with people in a whole, all across the Allied advance to tell them about what's going on? How do you get people ready to enter a war zone who have spent a lot of their lives um, in, um, in libraries and museums? Really interesting read. I did on audiobook, which is especially interesting, I think. Um, so that's that's really good. I the other one uh, that's my World War II pick for right now. The other one I was going to say is about the the medical stuff, um, and this is David McCullough. A lot of the a lot of it is about the um, the the part of American and Parisian history where Americans were going over to Paris and learning about from Parisians, whether it's art or sciences. But there's a huge chapter on medical education. Basically in the U.S. Um, at the turn of the century, 18th and 19th, we had no medical schools. So in order to become a doctor, you had to go to Paris and studies at these, study at these great teaching hospitals in Paris where these lecturers and they're performing surgeries on people with no anesthesia. Like it is crazy. The whole book is about Americans in Paris in the sort of turn of the century, 18th to 19th century time. But the, the chapter about Medical education is especially good, and I think your mom would be interested in that. Uh, my dad's a doctor. I'm interested in medical history, but this is something I knew nothing about. found it completely riveting, and this was during my great David McCullough jag of late summer, early fall uh, 2015. So that's, that's fresh in my mind there, too. Awesome. I went straight to medical yeah. stuff. Uh, my first pick is Complications. By I was going to do Gawande. that, but I saw you had it down there, so I, I, I steered yeah. away. Uh, Gawande is in our shared wheelhouse. Yes for sure. Um, he's written several great books. And this is one about how advanced and awesome and incredible medicine is, but also what the limitations of medicine are and uh, what the mistakes are that occur. Um, complications is about those unexpected complications that occur, um, particularly during surgery. Gawande is a surgeon and writes about uh, the art, craft and science of practicing medicine with he's so candid and so humble. And just it's a he's always fun to read and fascinating. And I just appreciate the level of uh, laying things 
things out that he that he does. I think surgeons have a reputation for sort of swaggering about and mm-hmm. wanting to, you know, wanting to play God. I, I you hear that about surgeons. One of my brothers-in-law is a surgeon and um, likes to discuss the stereotypes. But Gawande busts all that down and talks about, you know, how kind of how we got to where medicine is, but also how much further there is to go. It's really wonderful. He's a he's a great writer, but I think there's much to find and enjoy in complications. And a bonus of most of Gawande's work is that you can carry the ideas that he's talking about over into whatever industry you are in and right. uh, thinking about what the limitations are of the things that you do and sort of poking at the adjacent possible. It's always a really interesting thought experiment to read him. Uh, the other that came up for me is one that I haven't read, but that I remembered when it came across my desk this summer. And this book just came out this year. It's called The Shift, One Nurse, 12 Hours, Four Patients' Lives. It's by Teresa Brown. It came out from Algonquin. Um, Brown uh, is a longtime registered nurse and um, was, I think, the head of one of her units for many years. And this is a book that presents stories about four patients' lives in the course of one 12-hour shift um, that Brown worked as a nurse, but uses those as a lens to talk about um, larger issues in current medical care. Um, I've heard great things about it. I haven't read that one yet, but I think it's worth looking at. And uh, again, it's called The Shift by Teresa Brown. Uh, I'd be, I, my, I, my body literally will not let me continue until I shout out the emperor of all maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee. It's a history of cancer. I just can't, if you're, if, if they, if your mom likes medical history at all and hasn't read this book, completely blown away. I'd put it in the top five nonfiction books I've ever read in my life. Yeah, for Um, sure. It's, it's a remarkable, a remarkable work. So that's, I just, I have, I can't, I couldn't go down. I couldn't get down to that. I couldn't even scroll on the document (laughs) without saying it. I actually didn't put it on my notes because I knew that was coming. You just assumed it was going to, yeah, it's like. He'll, he will be compelled physically. <laughs> I um, just to did a, a video for us this week about Swiss Army picks, and mm. that's one of them too. I think just about anybody can enjoy that book. It's so good. Okay. Now, since the next one uh, is more in your wheelhouse, I will read this one. Okay. Um, I'm writing to ask for, rec- for a recommendation for the holiday show. If my wheelhouse were a real thing, it would need space for everything written by Rebecca Solnit. I reached into the red and loved Wanderlust, The Far Away Nearby, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. I like the micro-history aspect of her work. I always enjoy cultural, historical, theoretical books where the author weaves in personal moments or stories. All right, Chris. All right. This I can kind of speak to. The Mm. first and most obvious example for me, um, but also probably one of the few books that I've read that really rings this particular bell um, is The Empathy Exams by Leslie Jameson. Uh, Jameson was fascinated by this concept of empathy and of how much we're talking about it in the culture recently and wanted to explore it. So she undertakes essentially a series of experiments just in her own life as a person. This is not like a Mary Roach actually doing science Mm -hmm. experiment, but she puts herself into a bunch of different kinds of experiences that cause her to think about empathy in interesting ways and ask a bunch of questions about empathy. Like uh, one of the chapters is about her spending some time being an actor for medical students where they teach you, you know, how to present as if you have certain symptoms. And then they ask the actors after the fact who have interacted with these medical students to rate the students on a bunch of things like did they ask you this question you know did they take your temperature um how empathetic were they and she starts thinking about like well how do we even express empathy and how do you measure empathy and what does empathy even mean um in another section another essay she goes to a conference for people who have a particular um, syndrome or ailment i can't remember exactly what it was but there's essentially there's no science to verify that this 
problem, this medical problem is actually a medical problem. And there are no there. Consequently, there are no treatments for it. But there are a lot of people who experience the same symptoms, and they found each other on the internet. um, And they have conferences to meet each other and to try to, you know, share tips and also to talk about like, how can you get your doctor to pay attention to this thing that your doctor doesn't believe is real? Are we being gaslighted? Or is our problem really real? Does it matter? Like if you're suffering, does it matter? Um, how do you get treatment for this stuff? And and there are so many more. The essays in the book are really wonderful. It's a small book that packs a big punch. It took me a lot longer to read it than I expected just based on page count. But it's really interesting and so thoughtful. Um, and her thoughts and experience are just woven into the fabric of each essay. Um, you might also check out The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Um, she's a cultural critic. I've only read some of these because I, I had to go so slowly through them. It really broke my brain in a pleasurable way. But she weaves um, stories about her life and uh, sort of acknowledges that you can't come to cultural criticism without bringing your own stuff to it. So just she just puts her own stuff straight out there and works it into the way that she looks at the culture today. Um, that was one of the huge books. I think it came out last year. Mm. Um, But tons of praise, really interesting things to be said about Maggie Nelson. Um, So the empathy exams and the Argonauts. And good luck to you. Uh, I got I got two quick ones for this. I'm going with microhistory where Mm. they do some injection of their own personality experience memoirs um, on immunity by Eula Biss came out this year. Uh, it's it's a lot shorter than I thought. I was expecting a really big book, but you can it's a 250, 300 pages. Um, it is about the cultural conversation um, and metaphors we use around vaccines and immunizations and inoculations of, uh, of various kinds. Um, it's not a cultural history or a medical history. It's sort of both. More of I would say a meditation that uses historical facts and evidence and medicine to talk about our particular moment. Um, but also the kinds of metaphors and language we use around immunity that gets in the way or helps us understand what immunity is all about. She brings it, her own experience as a new mother and the, you know, the, the great decision. Um, well, it's, it, frankly, it shouldn't be that great. But the decision you do make, especially when you hear things about whether or not getting in the MMR booster is going to give your kids um, hot dog fingers or whatever, as people say. Um, but why is it a problem? Why is it useful? Why does it matter that we need sort of a critical mass of people to, to agree that it's important? Um, what happens when, what happens in people's minds and their understanding of the world and their relationship to it when they decide not to vaccinate their kid? Um, so I thought that was really interesting. One that we both loved a great deal, H's mm-hmm. for a Hawk this year oh, by yeah. Helen McDonald. I'm mad that you thought of that for this category. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the secret, that's the secret game that Rebecca and I are playing. I don't know if you know this, is we're trying to out-recommend each other to each other. Um, <laughs> And actually, any, whoever brought an H in for Hawk first probably would win because we both love the book so much. Yeah. Um, but it's about falconry, but it's not. It's about grief, but it's not. It's about being a reader, but it's not. It's about all of those things. I learned a lot about falconry. Super yeah. interesting that people still do it. The long history of, of training birds of prey. Um, how you, if they, you cannot the difference between taming something and domesticated something, which I thought was really interesting, where if you tame something, you take something from the wild and get it sort of to obey you in a way. But to domesticate something is basically to change the species. So cows are domesticated, but uh, goshawks, which is the hawk that Helen McDonald trains, is not because they don't really change the species, so they're docile by nature. Um, Really interesting book, uh, a very big surprise. Kind of a hard book to pitch, I feel like. It is a hard hard book to pitch. It's 
It's so it's so good. I was hooked. I think it's the second chapter. Yes. She has she's brought the hawk home and she's sitting in a dark room with the hawk, not looking at the hawk, mm-hmm. but like letting the hawk adjust to her presence for a whole day, just sitting silently. Like she's not reading or watching TV or listening to an audiobook or anything. She's just sitting there breathing, being near the hawk and letting the hawk get used to her presence. And it is riveting. Yeah, it's it's crazy riveting, I have to say. Um, so if you do try, give yourself a couple chapters. Not that it's not not that it's boring right away, but there is like crazy tension it's, between her yeah. and the hawk in a variety of ways throughout the book. Yeah, it's like it's one of those. I think I say it about Emperor of All Maladies when I at least talk about that. Like you don't think you want to read a yeah, seven hundred page book about cancer, but you do. Like you might think you don't want to read a book about a woman taming a hawk as her way to grieve the death of her father, but it's about so many other things, and you really do want to read it. Yeah, so so, so my picks were On Immunity by Eula Biss and uh, H is for Hawk by Ellen McDonald, just to wrap up there. Yeah. Okay, do, I, I, but this is also one that's better for you. I don't know that the next one's either of our wheelhouse exactly mm, here. Yeah. I'm looking to buy my book for my friend who needs some help. She really enjoyed Wild and Into the Wild. I know similar titles. That's um, this parenthet- uh, parenthetical by Jamie. But she loves books on wanderlust and going off of your own adventure and maybe finding yourself along the way. She likes nonfiction accounts. Any ideas? I've got very little here, so you better you better go yeah, with this. Yeah, I have very little also. I, I loved Wild. I also loved Into the Wild. They are different books about yeah. wanderlust. Like, so I get the sense that Jamie's friend reads pretty widely in this. I tend to not like the eat, pray, love kind of travel mm, That's what narrative. came to my mind, but I wasn't going to recommend it, yeah. Yeah, um, and I... I think if you're really looking for some meat on the bone, that's probably not the way to go. So I went to Alibis by Andre Achiman, which I think I've recommended before. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. It is a collection of essays about travel, but they're really about what we're looking for when we travel. Um, What each piece is about a different place that he went and, you know, who he was with and the food that they ate and what that trip meant to him. But the taken together, the collection serves as a kind of question to the reader about like when you pack up and you leave home and you're going somewhere new or you're revisiting a place that you've been many times before what are we trying to get mm-hmm. from that like what is the thing that drives individuals to travel and to we i think we have this notion many of us that going off on your own on an adventure is one of the ways that you yeah. can find yourself why is that why is it that we have to leave home and go be in the way of stuff that is unfamiliar to us in order to find out things about ourselves. Um, Achiman is so thoughtful. The writing is so beautiful. Um, A couple of months ago, I was going to, oh, it was on all the books. I was going to talk about this on an episode of all the books and I dug it out just to find a quote and I ended up rereading like half of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's so excellent. Um, Again, that's called Alibis, Essays on Elsewhere by Andre Achiman. If you're looking for something maybe just a little more humorous, uh, Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Yeah. Uh, He goes out to walk the Appalachian Trail with a cantankerous old Acquaintance, I wouldn't even really say they're friends. <laughs> cantankerous um, men in the woods. Cantankerous like exactly men in the woods. Yeah, and it's you know a couple of middle-aged guys going out to try to to uh, hike the Appalachian Trail. It's kind of a fun pairing with Wild um, mm-hmm. because you know they're not really going out to try to deal with all the brokenness in their lives, um, but maybe they. I mean, you can make it. It's a it's a different kind of attitude towards the project. Bryson kind of wants to do it and just sort of see. Um, and it's about, you know, it's a lot more about than Wild, I think, sort of the, the technical, pragmatic parts of like what it means. There's a lot more history of mm-hmm. the Appalachian Trail than, than Cheryl Stray does in, in Wild. Um, it's a nice bookend. So if they enjoyed Wild, 
that's sort of an obvious one to me. Again, it's not it's not um, having spiritual epiphanies and hiking boots sort of situation, but it's it's a humorous and entertaining account of going out and uh, being out in nature for a while. Okay. All right. The next one I think is more for you. So okay. I'll read it. This is from Kate George Melson. Um, she has a really like particular part of her wheelhouse that she's trying to satisfy. She reads widely across genres, but she wants some books that fit this. Um, she loves The Iliad, which is why I was like, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she loves Ulysses, A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Imer McBride, and A Brief History of Seven Killings uh, by Marlon James. These are all very special to her because she's had transformative experiences reading them. She says, to me, they perfectly combine challenging writing that demands attention with stories and characters that I care deeply about. Uh, Kate often gets recommended important or difficult books that she just can't love because the characters and stories don't grab her. Um, She's not a fan of books that sacrifice characters and plot to the experimentation with the language. But it seems she wants, so she wants good characters and plot, but also something interesting happening about how the story is told. Okay. I've I've got two ideas. Um, More towards the classics vein. And again, I'm just, you didn't mention it, I don't know. But Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison is my pick for you. Um, an amazing plot, experimentation, big ideas close to my own heart. Um, sort of like you said, some of these books are close to your own mm-hmm. work. You know, one way to think of it is if the Odyssey were written by a black man in the 1940s in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Think of it that way. I don't think that's an unreasonable way to think about it. Um, Ellison is as good as anyone I've ever read on marrying plot and ideas and language. I don't know experimentation to use your own to use your own phrases so that's one pick um the other one would be um the things they carried um which is about oh, vietnam yeah. uh the i just blanked on the name i just there was the author come on help me tim, O'Brien. tim o'brien um uh both of us love that book it mm-hmm. is also experimental um but it also is super soulful um and you care about the characters so those are my two picks i you know these are these are Mount Rushmore picks for me, um, so I don't recommend them lightly, but it doesn't look like that's what you're looking for here. So those are my two picks here. Yeah. Oh, and if you do audiobooks, Brian Cranston reads a new version of The Things They Carried mm. that I like literally had to pull over so I could cry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't <laughs> say we did, don't say we didn't warn you. I'll just I'll just say I'll <laughs> right. just say Kiowa to you right now. Right. The, I that I have a history with that book. The first time I finished it, I was on a plane and mm. I was like the crazy lady crying on a plane. So I don't recommend reading the things they carried in public. Yeah, right. we told you. Okay. Uh, let's see here. This is a tricky one coming yeah, up this here. Is. Not sure if you're still clicking. Blah 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 blah. Um, my family's embarking on an 18-hour road trip this Christmas, so naturally I'm looking for audiobooks to fill the time. The challenge is finding something that everyone in my family will enjoy. My dad is a history buff, McCullough and Follett. Um, my, mom use, my mom usually prefers fiction. She reads a lot of things on the New York Times about sellerless and lately enjoyed uh, Diana Gabaldon's The Outlander series. Neither my brother nor my boyfriend is a big reader, although my boyfriend does enjoy books about sports. Then there's me. I enjoy listening to nonfiction fiction from Victorian literature to Karen Russell. To try to keep everyone happy, I'm thinking of Bryson, who we all know previously, or David Sedaris. Uh, any suggestions you might have? All right, I've got a right. pick, but you go first. 
Okay, well, she says Sedaris might be a bit much for her dad. So I went like a couple notches down uh-huh. on the Excellent strategy. everybody will love it uh, comedy scale. Mindy Kaling's uh, two memoirs are great on audio. And they're more about they're mostly about the experience of being a younger woman coming up in comedy and coming up in television writing. But she's funny. And I think anybody can appreciate those jokes. Um, Aisha Tyler's uh, memoir, Self-Inflicted Wounds, is more widely applicable to any kind of reader. I think it's about growing up a nerd, feeling like an outcast, um, sort of difficulties in her family, and then how she carried that through her career, how well it served her to learn, you know, to embrace the things that make you different and the things that make you nerdy and to embrace the embarrassing stuff that happens along the way. I really liked both of those. Um, For the history angle, I went with My Grandfather Would Have Shot Me by Jennifer Tega, which I listened, and that's T-E-E-G-E. I listened to this on audio earlier this year after our coworker and great friend Jen recommended it to me. It's a mind-blowing story. Um, Tega is a German Nigerian woman. She's in the library one day um, in her the town she lives in in Germany and she's just scanning the shelves and the title of this book appeals to her so she picks the book up and recognizes photos of her mother in the book. This is a crazy story. I remember hearing about this. It is bonkers. She starts flipping through the book. She sees that her grandmother is also in the book and then she starts reading and she discovers that her grandfather, um, she was adopted and so she hasn't, she doesn't know her full family history to this point. Her grandfather was Eamon Geth, um, who if you remember Schindler's List, is the really vicious, terrible Nazi commandant that uh, Rafe Fiennes played in the movie. Um, And Tega is a black woman. Um, And so she knows that her grandfather would have shot her if he had known that he had a black granddaughter. Mm. Um, It is, it's so chilling. She goes through the family's history. She goes through how she coped with this discovery about her family and about where she comes from, how it affected her. She goes into a a really severe depression when she finds out the news and then has to process it. Um, And in the in the process of doing the processing, um, she goes and speaks to historians and to experts, and she explores things about um, trauma that carries through families for multiple generations. I have not read or heard anything like this. Um, it's, you know, kind of a downer for, <laughs> <laughs> for a family road trip, but it's so good. Uh, and then my last pick quickly is Prom- Provenance by Ali Sujo and Lainey Salisbury. And it's a look at... Um, art, not art thieves, but art imitators, Mm -hmm. and um, a really famous pair of uh, British guys who one was the the business mastermind, and the other, it turned out, could imitate. I really want to read this. I've been wanting to read this forever. It's so good. And they go through like the caper of how these guys started faking uh, paintings, selling them as uh, as if they were genuine works by uh, master artists, and ultimately how they were caught. And that's those are mine. Those are mine. I, I got two quick ones for you. Um, kind of on the um, history, popular history nonfiction tip, I'm going with um, Stephen Johnson's How We Got to Now, which became <sighs> yes. a PBS miniseries. But basically, what Stephen Johnson does, he takes like seven ideas or processes and traces them through time to our present moment. So, just a, two quick examples. One, he talks about cold. So it's about how ice became a commercial commercial project for this bus. This sort of nut job Bostonian merchant in the 19th century was trying to ship, you know, boatloads of ice to Cuba from from (laughs) frozen Boston lakes to how air conditioning has impacted the American Electoral College. The brief example being Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Utah, some, you know, 
allowed sort of the great migration that's happening in our lifetimes in the American populations to the Southwest, to places where people wouldn't want to live, but now they can have air conditioning. And now that a bunch of people live there, the electoral math has changed. So kind of how these small things um, over time have changed and how they impact our, our lives. So the, um, one is cold. There are seven chapters. Um, another really good one I thought was interesting was glass. Uh, and th- my favorite anecdote from that is how uh, basically the invention of um, glasses and type go hand in hand. Once mm-hmm. um, Johannes Gutenberg um, invented the printing press where you could have smaller typewritten um you know, smaller type, more textually dense books. People realized they were blind and couldn't read. So it kicked off a renaissance in glass making and lens making that led to stuff like, you know, Galileo and astronomy that all go hand in hand. So the, what's nice about this for a group of people, it's pop cultural history, but it also feels like it's got some weight to it. The whole chat, you can do chapter by chapter, like if you're not into it or you just like one particular chapter, you can stop or start, things like that. So it's broken up nicely for a road trip as well. Um, the other one I was going to say, if, you, if you're thinking about Bob Bryson, and I just have to mention, because you didn't mention here, Mary Roach, I would say packing for Mars for sort of all ages, all purposes. She's sort of Bill Bryson's bodier, snappier sort of uh, uh, sibling when it comes to sort of popular nonfiction about cultural everyday objects. Uh, I think packing for the Mars is the most real well-rounded of the Mary Roach books. That's Mary Roach book. That's my opinion. Um, So that's how we got to now by Stephen Johnson and packing for Mars by Mary. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even say what it is. It's about the sort of practical constraints of getting humans into space. You know, what do we eat? Where do we poop? How do we breathe? Are our brains going to liquefy? You know, all these things that went into trying to get um, these meat capsules that we inhabit into um, low orbit. (laughs) What? Meat capsules. Oh, yeah, that's a very Mary Roach sort of thing to say. I was channeling uh, the great, uh, the great, the grandmaster, uh, Mary Roach. Okay. I haven't, I haven't listened to her on audio. Do the footnotes make it in? You know, they do, but it's kind of wonky. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's a little, you can tell, like the break is different. It's weird. Okay. It, there's not a real good way to do it. Uh, like she writes the best footnotes yeah. in all of nonfiction. And she'll go so far for a good poop joke. I really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> Let's see. So next up is Dan, and he did three. Um, which one do you want to pick here? Let's see. I am only qualified for his third one, okay, but I think go he for might it. have something go. for the second one. So this is Dan. So read three to me and tell me what Okay, so Dan is um, looking for a book that punches you in the gut and tugs at your heartstrings repeatedly. Examples include A Little Life by Hanya Yanagaharo, Edinburgh by Alexander Chi, and The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Um the Sparrow is one of my all-time favorite books. I've read it a jillion times. I really loved A Little Life, even though it did repeatedly just punch me in the face this year. Um, those are really singular reading experiences, but I know what you're getting at here, mm-hmm. Dan. Um, the closest I think that I could come in anything that I've read in the last several years is The Book of Strange New Things by Michelle Faber. And it's not going to punch you in the face the way that these other two did, but it does some of the same things. Um, it's about a couple, a young couple. Peter is a recovering alcoholic. He's a minister, and he gets called on a mission to go to another planet. Um, the The world has a colony on this other planet already. We've been there for a while, um, but he is now being called to go and to build a church, essentially, um, with uh, to, to evangelize to the beings who live on this planet. And so he can't say no to this opportunity. Um, while he is in space, 
things just go to hell on Earth. And he's getting these increasingly frantic and terrible emails from his wife, B back on Earth about what's happening. Um, and he has he's torn between staying and doing what he believes is his mission from God, or should he go back home to his wife? Would he even be able to get to her? Would he even be able to do anything to help? Um, and we get to see his experiences um, on the planet and her experiences back on Earth and all of their communication that happens in between. Um, we also get to see Peter interact with the aliens um, and the and his sort of he becomes kind of an anthropologist in, within their group examining how they live and describing for the reader how they live they have their own language that has a different font within the book which I've never mm -hmm. seen a writer do um, it's a really beautiful, difficult, um, emotionally difficult read, especially towards the end. Um, probably that's the closest I can get to something that does what The Sparrow and A Little Life did. But as I said, both of those are really singular reading experiences. I think it's it's hard to touch and it's hard to predict, you know, like where those are going to come from. Yeah, I'm going to try to tackle the other two quickly, other two sort of wrecks uh, Dan asked for. The first is um, I'm okay. looking for a book that has a literary fiction of a literary fiction equivalent of Kendrick Lamar's two albums. Good Kid, Mad City, Into Pimp a Butterfly, and, and Taniasi Coates' Between the World and Me. These resonate with me for reasons I'm not able, yet able to articulate, so it's been difficult to find novels that hit me in quite the same way. I've already read most of Toni Morrison and just started reading Octavia Butler. Their books come closest so far. I, I have to admit, I'm not exactly sure what you're getting at here with the, the Kendrick Lamar album, so I'm going to use the other bits. I'm uh, going to okay. recommend The Intuitionist by Colson Whitehead. Um, it is, so it's sort of mythic. Uh, it's about, and again, it, I feel like I'm having a stroke every time I say the description of what this book is about, <laughs> um, but it is about two competing schools. It's a novel of elevator repairing, and one are the intuitionists, and the other, I think, uh, the empiricists, I think. Basically, one is you go stand in the elevator, and you sort of feel what's wrong with it, and the other one is about, you know, actually doing some science and trying to check it out. Lila Mae Watson is the protagonist. Um, she's a young black woman. And the whole book becomes a metaphor and meditation on various kinds of understanding the world and the various strengths and weaknesses. There's a mystery. Um, it's about identity and knowledge and coming to terms with who you are and how that might be what the world thinks you are or doesn't think the world you are. So that's that's a little bit of a dart at the board recommendation. Um, if you haven't read it, I think it's worth reading on its own. So it might not even be like what you're looking for here. But that's kind of what my gut is telling me about that one. The second one is about video games. Uh, I guess in Reading Lives, I talked, we talked about video games. I think me and Guy Gonzalez maybe or Michael, I can't remember. If there are any, and so Dan's one of any books like the Final Fantasy games. And basically what he's looking for is a large cast of interesting, magically talented characters. He's already done. Um, Wizard of Ursi, I Have the World, Produce Three Station, Wizard's Rules Rule, Library of Mount Chard. Uh, I'm going to give you one pick, and it is not for the faint of heart when it comes to long books. Um, I read the first two in the trilogy. The third one isn't out, but it is The King Killer Chronicles um, by Patrick Rothfuss. The first one is called The Name of the Wind, and the second one is Wise Man's Fear. Um, it's about a kid who's magically talented and as far as I don't know how it ends up, but it, we're, as far as we know, we're, we're led to believe he is the greatest wizard of his generation. Um, and he, the, the books begin, the saga begins with him sort of hiding in a bar, running a bar. And we get the story told backwards from the very beginning to where we don't know how we, he gets to be um, the greatest wizard of all time. We don't know what happens to him after that fact. But it's an epic. The books are 
really long, like six to 900 pages. So you really get into it. There's that sort of, there's that final fantasy element. Well, those are long games. There's like nine of them. So you really can dive in. Um, the third book, Rothfuss hasn't really said he's supposed to be working on it probably in the next year or two. It'll come out. Um, I was both repulsed and completely enraptured because it's so long and there's so many details and it's really immersive and there's that sort of quality of Final Fantasy where like you got to do all this stuff and you got to upgrade all your stuff and there's all this there's all this stuff going on really thick maybe even overwrought in a way but that's sort of part of the pleasure so that's my recommendation for that um, the first book is called Name of the Wind and it's by Patrick Rothfuss okay all right we should do our next yeah well, tell me about our next before sponsor. we go on we've got Audible back this week Audible.com is the world's leading source of digital audiobooks and as we we were talking about earlier in the show, there are a jillion ways that you can incorporate digital audiobooks into your daily life. I am newly back on the working out wagon and I, I have figured out that the only way to endure cardio is to listen to good audiobooks. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. Audible has more than 180,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including bestsellers, latest releases, the business stuff we were talking about earlier, you name it, they've got it. And downloadable is a keyword there. Um, regardless of how long you keep your Audible membership, whatever you do, you own the audiobooks, you get to keep them, you can listen to them and revisit, go back to stuff like listen to getting to yes a second or third time. And now, I think we talked about yes, this a couple of weeks ago, because we it's big news. The complete Harry Potter audiobook collection is available. This would be a great thing to listen to oh, on your 18-hour road trip with your family, um, featuring award-winning narration by Jim Dale. It's Harry Potter. What else do you need Michelle to hear? Michelle, I just started it. We were, we, oh, were did getting, you? we were cooking Thanksgiving stuff, and we put it on. He's amazing. Perfect. He's great. That sounds perfect. Yeah, it's great. And I haven't um, so, actually read the first book. I got me started neither. in the middle of the series, and I, I've seen the movies, but I've never actually the text of the. So it was interesting to see what was different and what was the same. And, uh, but Dale, Dale's amazing. Cool. Sorry, I interrupted. Uh, so you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm excited. I, I I've been you know thinking about the Harry Potter reread, and mm. I, maybe I'll do it on audio now that I could. Uh, so you can of course let your imagination fly. Accio audiobooks. Uh, for more about Audible and to start your 30 day free trial with a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com/slash. Book Riot. And thanks to them for sponsoring. It's so great that the Harry Potter audiobooks are out in the world, especially at the holidays. Mm. I can't think of a better time. Those people, they know what they're they doing. They know what they're doing. Um, nice segue. Uh, the next one is from uh, Gillian or Jillian. I'm so sorry uh, if I got that wrong. Well, I got it wrong. One, 50% wrong. One way or the about, other. I just finished the Harry Potter series for the first time, and I've been thinking about uh, for a while about what other series out there shouldn't be missed. I also enjoyed The Hunger Games and Follett's Century Trilogy. I wasn't crazy about Divergent, Maze Runner, Delirium, etc. Any other must-reads you can throw at me? What do you got? I got nothing. Nothing. This is this is the great one, right? What Harry uh, Potter? Yeah, what's well, what, what's next? Right. It's what to do after Harry Potter, but also like, I'm just not a series mm -hmm. reader. I think the only series that I'm currently involved in because I didn't realize it was a series at the time I started it. I mean, only the first one is out was Sorcerer to the Crown uh, yes, by Zen Cho, that, yeah. which I will pitch because it's great. Um, is about. Uh, a magician in England in Victorian times. He's a black man. He's a freed slave. Um, and he is the sorcerer royal to this group of British sorcerers and philosophers. Um, fairyland has cut off England's supply of magic in this world. Magic comes from fairyland. And he gets sent to figure out what's going on and how to get the magic back. Along the way, he stops at a school that teaches girls and women how to not use their magic. In this world, women have magical skills, but it's thought that it's dangerous and bad for women to do 
magic. Um, and he meets a really incredible woman named Prunella, who uh, has awesome skills, and they team up to get England's magic back, but also um, to go on this crusade to make women able to practice magic in Britain again. Um, the book is so much fun. It's a great caper. And that I read it and loved it and then found out that it's the first in the series and that the second one won't be out for a couple of years. But if you want to get started and then leave yourself on the hook, I highly recommend Sorcerer to the Crown. Yeah, King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss, which I just mentioned, again, is mid-series. But it has some of the same elements of Harry Potter, like a magical world. It's a fantasy world. It's not like Harry Potter where it's like a, the magical world is right next to the muggle world as we know it. But it's about, you know, coming of age, finding friends when you're a loner, um, the education, learning how the magical world works. It's much more dense. It's much more, it's an older audience. I think it's darker in a lot of ways. That's when you might look at, um, I'm actually going to point you to a post on book riot because, uh, Cassandra, I think it was this year, this summer, um, finally took on and it's called 13 stories to help fill the Harry Potter void. And I haven't <laughs> read and it's been one of our big, you know, most popular posts of the year, just because for the very reason that a lot of people are looking for this. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes if I can remember it. And if I don't, it's 13 stories to help fill the Harry Potter void. If you, you Google that title and book riot, it'll, it'll be the first, um, it'll be the first result, but there's a lot of good recommendations there. Some of them I haven't read. Some of them I have, I think the Earthsea cycle mm -hmm. is the closest of these that I've read by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, but go take a look at there and you can, you can read some descriptions of, of, uh, you know, what might be close for you. All right, let's see. Let's go to the next one. Um, time is ticking, man. I know. I was just looking at that. My husband does improv comedy full time. Like all working artists, he, he worked a ton. So he doesn't have a lot of time for long form reading. He tends to read a lot of magazines, articles, etc. that he can while he commutes. He loves comic books and graphic novels as well as short stories because, again, I think they're easier to read in short chunks in public. I never know what to get him. We love each other, but our taste in books just doesn't overlap. I'm about mystery that. novels and historical fiction. He just started the comic book series Arcadia, and, beside, and is beside himself with how much he likes. He also adored Lemaire's new 52 Animal Man. My husband's a huge sci-fi fan. Loves Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Werner Vinge, Neil Stevenson. His favorite book ever is The Cryptonomicon. And recently listened to The Martian on audio. Of course, he's also a huge comic, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay. 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 <laughs> so... I walked away from this with he likes funny and weird. Yes. And with some sci-fi leanings. Mm -hmm. So for funny and weird and a little sci-fi, I went and graphic novel. I went to Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky, yeah. which I think is my favorite comic. Um, it's about a librarian whose library is going to get to get closed, basically. And she meets this guy and they're going to rob a bank um, to save her library. But the way they're going to pull this off is that it turns out that they both have this skill that when they climax, they freeze time. So they're going to strategically use this skill to freeze time and rob banks. And that's how the story kicks off. But through several, you know, there are many issues out um, now. And the first deluxe volume of the book is hilarious. It's a giant hot pink hardcover called I think it's called Big Hard Sex Criminals. <laughs> Um, so it makes a fun thing to put under the tree and watch someone unwrap as well. But the comic is so funny. Um, Zdarsky and Fraction are huge nerds, uh, and that works its way into the writing. And it's, of course, just a kind of a wacky idea. Like, what would happen if you could freeze time when you come? Oh, you would rob banks and do other capers. And of course, it turns out that, like, there are a bunch of other people that also can do this thing. And there are, like, police forces that live inside the frozen world. All sorts of stuff happens. It's bonkers. I really, really 
like it. Um, and my other one is a I went to the short stories weird mm. p- place here. Three Moments of an Explosion by China Miaville. Um, his writing tends to defy genre. He just writes all the things. Um, I'm in the middle of this collection right now. And our again, our good friend Jen described it as like reaching your hand down into a like one of those Halloween grab bag things of like eyeballs and not knowing what you're going to touch. There's all there's something creepy and strange in every story. Um, one is about icebergs that float into the sky over London and just hang there and like people go on treks to explore them and they're not sure if the icebergs are going to fall or they're not and they're also not sure what the icebergs are suspended in there's just these icebergs hanging over the city um it's really strange and unsettling the worlds are different but it, like it's our world but with weird things happening and miaville i think is just one of the most interesting brains uh, that's writing today and i want him to be more widely read three moments of an explosion is so weird and great um, I've got a few picks. It sounds like your fella is a pretty good comics and graphic novels reader already, so these might be repeats. But if he hasn't read Saga, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly to Saga Volume 1 by um, Brian, excuse me, uh, uh, Brian, Brian K. Vaughn, illustrated by Fiona Staples. It is Romeo and Juliet meets Star Wars plus John Waters is kind of how I'm describing yep. it these days. It's body. It's crazy. It's awesome. Epic in scope. I'm completely original as far as I'm concerned. My favorite current series. Another one, I just read volume one. Amanda Nelson, our sometimes co-host and friend and colleague, recommended Odyssey um, by Matt Fraction, written by Matt Fraction and illustrated by Christian Ward, also an author. It is a retelling of Homer Odyssey set in space um, at the end of a great war and the stars and the beginning of a very long journey um, where the uh, the protagonist is gender-flipped, gender-bent Odyssea and her crew of warriors um, it's amazing. I'm just getting started on it. I'm so excited to read it. Another one, sounds like your fellow's a bit of a nerd too, Star Wars, Star Trek. If he has not read Ready Player One by Ernie Klein, that's a novel. Um, basically, it's a sci-fi book written by a sci-fi nerd filled with pop culture, especially 80s pop culture and video games, Back to the Future, Star Wars, Star Trek, things of that nature. And one of my Swiss Army recommendations, but only deployed when I hear certain key words. And one of those is Star Wars and Star Trek, too. So that's a novel, not a graphic novel. The other two I recommendations are comic books that are out in um, trade form, so you can buy. I think there are five volumes of Saga out right now. I don't know how many, I don't know how many volumes of Odyssey mm-hmm. are out now. I think maybe just one. Yeah, and the deluxe versions of Saga oh, are so There's pretty. a deluxe version of Saga that's the first three volumes, and I it if I don't gorgeous. get it for Christmas, I might <coughs> um, remedy that on my own uh, after the fact. So <laughs> It's gorgeous. All right, you want to go next? Read the yeah, next sure. one. I've got a good uh, pick. Uh, yeah, critique. the next one is uh, somebody who is looking for a recommendation for her husband, who's a meteorologist. She's bought him one book after another in different genres. She's tried weather-related, mystery, biography. Nothing seems seems to stick. Uh, so she's looking for anything that could hold his interest and ignite a love of reading in him. She says he does have quite a few Tom Clancy books on his bookshelves from years ago. If that helps, this is a, this listener is an avid reader and wants her husband to share the passion. I'm going for Dan Brown. There it is. I am going straight to Dan Brown. So what I know of Tom Clancy is like somebody's trying to figure something out and there's peril and conspiracy. It's like more political, you know, like geopolitical stuff in Tom Clancy. Dan Brown, you're getting history and capers. There is so much conspiracy. There is so much peril all the time. Somebody is like poor Robert Langdon almost dies like, you know, on every other page. Mm -hmm. And they're just so much fun 
to read um, because things move really quickly because Dan Brown knows what he's doing with this character who is a bit of a caricature of himself and it's intentional um, people ask you and me all the time if our love of Dan Brown is genuine or if we're like doing a bit and I'm offended it, by the question to be quite too. honest it is so genuine I love I love him I know you love Dan Brown if if anything is going to you know get your husband to just keep turning the pages against his will like to stay up all night reading I think you go for Dan Brown here. You go straight to the Da Vinci Code. I think that was an excellent choice, uh, a great effort, but I'm sorry. Oh, no. The correct answer is The Martian by Andy I Weir. I knew it. I knew it, you jerk. <laughs> um, it, has, it has been, for me, over the last, I guess, year and a half now, my go-to general purpose recommendation. If someone's in a reading slump, if they're not you know, uh, a regular reader on their own, it will get you from page one. Your husband's already a scientist, already going to be into the science and the Rube Goldberg machines um, that the main character employs. It's very grounded in science and it's not hokey. Um, the, the main character is funny. Andy Weir is a, is a big hearted guy and it comes through in the writing. It's a page turning disaster that will, you're going to lose your fella for a couple days. It's Space MacGyver. Space MacGyver is the right way to put it. If, maybe you've already seen the movie. I would still, I've been, people have been asking if I've seen the movie or read the book, should I do it? I think they're both worth checking out. Mm -hmm. um, if you've already seen the movie, the book is worth reading and, and vice versa. Um, but that's my pick uh, right there is uh, Andy Weir's <sighs> The Martian. I'm mad, but it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Uh, you, let's do, we got time for maybe a couple more. So let's, let's get rolling here. Let's do the, you read the next, or yeah, you read the next one. I've okay. got to This next one. Yeah, I've got to pick two. Um, it says in the new year, I plan on trying to get more serious and getting my stuff together. Um, I'm trying a mix of meditation, mindfulness, and Zen Buddhist practices. And I wonder if you have any recommendations on books that might help in my journey for inner peace and centering myself and kicking my anxiety to the curb. Um, I do. I have an app recommendation too. First, mm. if you're just oh, getting cool. on yeah, the yeah. meditation train. I love Headspace. I think it's $99 a year. It is worth the 99 bucks. Um, they are 10 to, I think most of them are 10 to 20 minute meditations and you can tell them how long you want them to be. Um, that go through the very basic, you start with a very basic set where first you do 10 minutes for 10 days, then you do 15 minutes, then you do 20 minutes of just, it just kind of gets you into what meditation and mindfulness are and the deep breathing and like your thoughts are like clouds passing in the sky. Just observe <laughs> them and let them go, which is so useful. <laughs> it's so useful. Um, and then they have a bunch of themed sets of meditation. So you can do the anxiety set. You can do the relationship set. I did one for balance not too long ago that I thought was really useful. So check out Headspace. That's a good gift to yourself. Um, the book that I'm going to pick is called Work, How to Find Joy and Meaning in Each Hour of the Day by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, it's about exactly what it says. He applies Buddhist principles and more broadly mindfulness principles to um, how to get through your life, you know, going to work, knocking out the tasks that you have to do, even that aren't fun, how to get through your home life in the same sorts of situations and to be, you know, not just like, oh, I'm doing this thing, but how to be present and to make the 
even the most mundane parts of your day into something meaningful that you can think of as a larger, you know, a part of the larger whole. Um, I found it to be very insightful. It's a slow, for me at least, it was a slow read. Um, I really wanted to process what he was saying, but I found it to be useful because we all have stuff, like as awesome as our jobs here at Book Riot are, we all have stuff that is a grind in our day um, or those things that you put off because you just are dreading doing them. Um, And I find some of the mindfulness stuff um, to be very useful for that too. So that book again is called Work. It's by Tick Not Han. My pick um, is one that if you saw it on the shelf, you'd be like, oh God, I, there's no way I'm going to pick this up. It just looks like another in the grist mill of like cheesy business books. But I am here to tell you it is not. Um, it's called Conscious Business by Fred Kaufman. Listen to the subtitle. It's How to Build Value Through Values. Like it sounds terrible. I, I know it does. <laughs> Wait, how to build value, value through, through values. values. Yeah, how to tautology um, by using tautology. Synergy, um, synchronicity. But... It, I, I don't know, but I suspect Kaufman has been trained in Eastern religions. What he's talking and what he talks about here is being basically being mindful in business settings. And again, it's kind of like getting to yes, it transcends merely sort of being in a corporate office. It's dealing with other people and dealing with organizations um, as you are part of an organization in which you have control or as part of, in part of an organization in which you do not have as much control and how you navigate those different things. You know, about being responsible, how to become the main character in your own life sort of situations, um, how to succeed beyond, you know, what is the thing that you want beyond the thing you want right now, um, how to get other people to tell you what they want and what they care about and what they're motivated by. Um, so it's sort of applied mindfulness in sort of the, my very watered down understanding mindfulness is just what are you doing and why are you doing and being mindful of how you're going about and living like sort of being an agent in your own life. I thought it was really good. Um, and he, he's a very, he's a big heart. Again, he's big hearted guys. You can see the sort of things I'm drawn to big hearted people that are also applying it in some kind of way. Um, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you're, you're a leader of any kind, um, he talks a lot about how you conduct yourself, not just matters because of your, uh, you know, how it affects the people you work around, but how it affects your own sense of self-worth and self and self-being like doing it the right way usually is not only get you better results, but you also feel better, uh, about how you do things. So that's Fred Kaufman, conscious business. Uh, I know it sounds cheesy and it is a little bit, but it's also really helpful and an interesting um, way of thinking about being a person as a part, you know, really the one thing I've learned actually this year, maybe it's worth saying right now, like any business book is really just about being a part of a group that you do things with other people. That That's really all that it is. Um, and business has a different sort of motive and end result that you're looking for, but actually not really. So that's been really interesting to me. And conscious business and getting to yes are the two really that I've read so far that like you could take them and give them to someone else who is – you know, doesn't work in it there. They work in a nonprofit or they're in a large family or they're running their local Kiwanis club or something like that, where just dealing with other people on a day in day basis is a part about dealing with them, but also partly about dealing with yourself and your own crap that you bring to it and your own hangups and your blindnesses. Um, anyway, that's my pick. Yeah, I think that's worth saying for most like for good self-help and good business books, like there's a level of earnestness that is required of yeah. writing that kind of book. And then a, a level of earnestness and openness to that level that is yeah. required of readers that like most of us don't like to drop all of our guards and all of our walls in that way or to like encountering that kind of earnestness is disarming mm-hmm. <laughs> and uncomfortable. Like if you encounter it just in like a person on a normal day, we don't right. interact 
act that way in the world, but you have to get past that. Like it seems cheesy, but it's just a level of like really sort of raw discussion about how people work and how we feel about stuff that like typically people like to cover that up with other yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like if you think you've got it all figured out, these books aren't for you, but they are the books you probably most need to read. Right. I mean, like these are books right. for people who sort of are, the, the first step you have to get to is like you, you're not perfect and you don't have it figured out and you've got a lot to work on. If you can get to that point, then you're open to sort of ways that people are understanding and metaphorizing different kinds of experiences. And um, this idea of being conscious in business was very interesting. And I think, you know, again, it's not a long book. It's not terribly challenging, um, but I do think it'd be interesting as well. I don't know what you do for a living, but presumably a lot of us are working out there. And so these books apply to a lot of different kinds of people. Okay, two more? Sure. Two more. All right. You, okay. you read the next one. This next one is from Chelsea. Um, she is looking for a book for her boyfriend for Christmas. Oh, and I should say the newest episode of Get Booked that Amanda uh, yes. hosts with our uh, other coworker, Jen, is also holiday recommendations. And that show is very husbandy, they say. Mm. Like, it's very filled with stuff to buy for your boyfriend and your husband. So you might check that out, too. Chelsea's boyfriend reads almost exclusively comic books, and she would love to get him a novel for the holidays. She's bought him books that she was sure he would love in the past, but they never seemed to grab his attention. Um, he loves alternate fiction. He's asked for the man in the high castle, but she wants to get him a couple others as well. He enjoys very dark stories with twisted characters. I don't have a good pick here. I don't have a good pick. I don't like alternate history myself. So I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at sea, I have to admit. Ah, okay. I went Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. Um, I went with your dark story, twisted character, but like this is a really fun, delightful thing. So, so maybe the comic book angle um, you can work in there. It's one of the few books that I've read in recent years where I could see the movie of the book happening as I was reading it. I tend to hear language as I read. And so if mm. I can visualize the story, um, that usually signals to me that there's something kind of special going on with the writing or at least special for me with that writing. This is a story about a guy named Joe Spork, uh, who is a clock repair man in London, but his family is embroiled with uh, London's underworld with the criminals and literally under the world. There's like a series of tunnels that they use that runs under London. And he finds himself in the position of having to fight down some super villains that have created what's basically a doomsday machine that's on this train. Uh, and it's going to release these bees that tell everybody the truth about everything. And then the world will explode. <laughs> And so Joe Spork uh, finds himself trying to stop these supervillains. There's a, a great character named Edie Bannister, who's like an 80-year-old woman who used to be a super spy, and she sort of comes out of retirement. Um, she is so badass and so much fun to read. There's another character named Polly, who becomes Joe Spork's kind of girl Friday, um, and they have a really fun dynamic between them. It's a really fun book to read. It's it's just weird enough. It's just dark enough. Um the characters all have some sort of, you know, secret. There's uh, bad guys with multiple secret identities and aliases and all sorts of stuff. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, that's Angel Maker by Nick Harkway. I, I, I realized I was wrong. I have, do have a note for this. Um, it's not. It's not a. It's not perfect, but I think it, it, it might be related. Station Eleven by Emily. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Sinjin Mandel. Um, it is. I mean, it's not really. It's kind of like it begins what with what could be the present moment and moves forward in time several decades. So it's not mm -hmm. really an alter. It's in like an alternate f future history. But basically, what's happened is there's been a worldwide plague, um, and most of civilization has been wiped out. But there's some people left, and they're trying to figure it out. There is a comic book at the center of the story, which is another sort of hook 
uh, maybe for your fellow there as well. It is dark. Uh, it has some twisted characters. Um, it's not too long, and it's pretty readable for being literary fiction, which I think it is literary fiction, I guess. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. not really genre. Um, but that would be one that it, – it, it's very readable. It's like it's a page-turner as well. So that would be a good pick there, I think. Um, for that, okay, one more. We got a, we got a grandma request, so we better we better do that. We can't let the grandma request go uh, unmentioned. But it's a long. Let's see how we're going to break this down. Um, let's see. For grand, it's for uh, uh, Laura's grandmother, who she calls Gran, <laughs> and she reads mostly romances. Enjoys Patrick Taylor's Irish County Doctor books and uh, Jan Karen's Jan Karen. I don't know. I've never said that out loud. It's Jan. Yeah, Jan, it's Jan Karen's uh, Mitford books. Anything by uh, uh, Maeve Binchy and uh, Patrick O'Brien's Aubrey Matarin series. Um, they don't overlap. Um, I've had luck in the past gifting her Georgette Heyer novels, Agatha Christie, Miss Marple series, and Jane Austen. When I give her something new, she likes, she goes to the library and reads all of it she can find. So, makes for her to give something. Uh, another thing, she grew up in Vancouver, moved to the U.S. when she married my grandfather. They met while she was stationed in Vancouver Harbor during World War II and is proud of her Scottish and Irish heritage. She doesn't read a lot of nonfiction. She does seem to enjoy gentle memoirs from the early and mid-20th century. It's based in Scotland and Ireland. She also mm-hmm. used to be an avid knitter and enjoys gardening. Okay. 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 What do you got? I glommed onto the Jan Karen Mitford okay. thing. Because that's those that's a series about a small town and the pastor in the small town and like all the people who live in the small town and are involved in the church, basically. Mm-hmm. So I went to Gilead because we cannot have a recommendation show without someone talking about Marilyn Robinson. And since you took the Martian, I am taking oh, Marilyn okay, Robinson. Okay, take it. Take it away. Take it away. <laughs> I'm taking it. Um, I think this rings the gentle story. It's uh, not a memoir, but it reads like a memoir because it's a first person uh, it's it's an epistolary novel the main character is writing a letter he is an older man and he's writing a letter to his young son essentially about his life um, about what he wants his son to know about life in the world about faith about being a person the struggles of being a person in relationships with other people um, it's so it's quiet and beautiful and meditative. And um, if it were a memoir, it would be the gentlest of memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it rings so, sort of those some same like those same bells, the Jan Karen Mitford books have a little bit to do with faith, but are really more about the people um, in the books. And Gilead is certainly about that. Um, I can't think of really anyone that could be offended by no, no, by, no that's, by true. Gilead. that's true. Um, and maybe Graham would enjoy uh, sort of that shared person later on in their life, looking back and thinking about the lessons that they want to impart to someone just in case they're not there to teach them themselves. Um, and then I sort of swung for the fences a little looking at the... Um, She's read Debbie McCumber and Nora Roberts. Like if she's reading Nora Roberts, she's not that afraid of what happens in romance novels. And I combined that with liking stories about Scotland and Ireland to say maybe Graham should try Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. Mm. Interesting. I like that. And if she likes it, there's a bunch of them. I think there's seven or eight in the series. So you can give her the first one. And if she likes them, she can run to the library and tear through them. For something that does romance, that it threads that needle a little more carefully, Eloisa James writes awesome uh, historical romance. And my favorites of hers are um, retakes on fairy tales. There's When Beauty Tamed the Beast. Uh, I think there's A Kiss at Midnight is the take on Cinderella. They're all really wonderful and they're not too steamy oh that's interesting i would check out her as well um let me see i don't know if your 
Graham likes short stories. Um, this is one I read along. I'm going deep, deep <laughs> into the back catalog. Um, this is uh, Mary Lavin's collection. Um, the one I have is just selected stories. Um, she is an Irish writer from the mid-century, and they are, you know, they're great. I mean, there's very short, there's slice of life, um, a lot of variety. Uh, there's a lot of history and culture and traveling the countryside. Um, it's from that middle of the century period that uh, it sounds like your grandmother holds close to her heart. Um, and there's also, I think there's a bunch of Mary Lavin too. So this would be a good entry to, you know, let's see, I'm trying to look and see what, yeah, there's, there's a lot of short stories, but she also wrote a novel a little bit later in life. Uh, I'm sure the library has a bunch of them. They were popular for a while and they're kind of falling out of favor. So it might not be something that your, your grandmother has, uh, uh, encountered quite yet, but Mary Lavin, I really, any of the short story collections, but the, the selected stories, I think Lavin herself picked one short story from each of her collections to put in there. Oh, that's so, it, cool. so it's a nice, uh, it's a nice, uh, sampler of her work. Um, so that's, that's my pick. I, I, I went deep, but I think that's not a bad one as those things. I like that. I'm going to try those. Yeah. Um, I, that has to be our show. Unfortunately, I, that we, I felt like we just got warmed up. I know. It's so fun. It's so fun. Um, the show notes, I am going to do my best <laughs> to put the <laughs> titles in um, that we talked about um, in the show notes. As always, you can find uh, this and other uh, uh, show notes of this and other episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash podcast. Also, I'm going to put in links to our previous holiday recommendation shows. There's two there for the holiday. And I think we did another summer one at one point, didn't we? Yeah, we did Moms, Dads, and Grads Moms, at least Dads one year. Grad, yeah. I think we've done it twice. So there's a few shows. Um, and those are durable over time. They're, they don't go away too quick. You can find them there. You can find me at uh, the Jeff O'Neill, no apostrophe, of course, because Twitter hates Irish people, uh, O-N-E-A-L. You can find Rebecca, Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Thanks to our three sponsors, we have Penguin Random House Audio, we have Audible, and we have The Edge of Lost by Christina McMorris. Thanks so much for the sponsoring the show. We hope all of you out there have a heavy hoppy, have, have a happy hoppy. <laughs> Happy holidays. Lots of bunnies in your uh, (laughs) uh, Yuletide um, uh, revelry. Um, And we'll have a couple more shows, I guess, before Christmas. Uh, We're not even drunk right now. I know. It's like in the middle of the day. There's no no, uh, eggnog situation happening here at all. (laughs) I guess that's our show. That's our show. Have a good one. Have a good one. 